Today on Lockdown Red Wings, statement win as Detroit hands Boston their first regulation loss of the season. Your Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. to the Lockdown Red Wings podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Fisher and Scotty Bentley. I'm a podcast producer for the Daily J, a WWJ news radio podcast. Well, Scotty's host over at Lockdown Tigers, as well as a freelance journalist for the Detroit News. Today's episode, guys, I mentioned it in the intro, but we're going to break that. We're so back. We're so back, as Scotty says. <laughs> we're so back. I mean, Scotty, that game against the Boston Bruins had everything I needed to see to reassure me that this team isn't just going to flush the season away after the incredible five game winning streak. They had the last five games, even when you include the overtime win against the New York Islanders, that wasn't a great game until the third period, in my opinion. Um, but this game, they came out and they played in, in the, the way I really needed to see them play and just dominated, honestly dominated the Boston Bruins at five on five, two power play goals. It was everything that I needed to see to reassure me that this team has a shot this season. So I was really glad to see that. Um, but before we get to that, I got to let you guys know that today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On NHL for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Scotty, happy Monday, Victory Monday. We love to see that. Victory Monday, baby. We're so back. Like that's really all there is to it. Uh, that, that's the show. Run the credits, baby. We ball. We're so back. Well, I mean, just. You beat the Boston Bruins. You hand them their first regulation loss of the season, which is always so sweet. They were whining and crying at the end of that game, and the fans on Twitter were insane, like saying that the refs had it out for them. You're nine zero and one. There's no way the refs have it out for you because if they did, you'd have seen that throughout the first ten games of the season. They were just and they just got chippy. They got dirty at the end of the game, and the Red Wings persevered and they got the win. And it was great to see. There's so much to talk about in this game, and I'll say that. I, I honestly do think that a big part of this game has to do with how the game started. I mean, even obviously there were two softies kind of in the first, there was one real softie and then just like a mad scramble and, and a defensive breakdown for the second one. But the Red Wings didn't start slow in this game. They brought a lot of pressure early in this one and were swarming the Boston Bruins, chasing to the corners, trying to win puck battles. They weren't necessarily, it was a really even game still, but the heart was there. The effort was there from the defense and the forward lines. And we'll talk about that too. We had a mixing of the forward lines and power play units as well as uh, my boy, Joe Valeno got some second line minutes on the yeah, wing. The lines were wild in this one. We got to talk about that for sure. Well, Christian Fisher day to day caused him to go 11 and seven, which caused a lot of uh, <laughs> mixing and matching on the forward lines. But yes, Scotty, uh, I guess I, where do you want to begin with this one? Should we talk about, I mean, cause it happened chronologically first. Red Wings got out to a hot start, but, you know, yeah, I think we start off chronologically with just the who so because this game was not only was it a, a statement victory, like you said, but it was a, a, a in-game adjustment. It was a, a response win of something that happened at the beginning of the game. Like how many times do oh, I guess this season it literally hasn't happened yet. They, this is their first regulation loss. But like how many times do you go down one nothing or go down like one or two goals just in general? And then like to the Bruins and then that's it. You know what I mean? And that's, then they, they're going to play their, their system and they're going to play good defense and that's going to be all she wrote. And uh, for the wings to respond the way they did, I think is, is a massive statement. So I think starting off chronologically, like, yeah, who so allowed a, another softy 
Now it's it's very difficult to defend. I'm not sure how the puck squeaked out from under his mitt, or he just missed it. I'm not really sure. The the physics still kind of baffle me uh, behind that play. But uh, it, yeah, man, like that that was a uh, especially for like you said, like the boys were buzzing off rip and and did for the entire game, and and to have that kind of deflating like wind yeah. out of the sails moment for the wings to not have it deflate them or take the wind out of the sails and. And to continue playing as hard as they did and and then come back, I think, is huge. So, yeah, like chronologically, I mean, the Huso thing at the beginning of the game is uh, was a huge moment in this hockey game that the Wings did not allow to completely derail the rest of the hockey game. Yeah, and, you know, we, we are big goalie defenders here. Even when a goalie lets in a softie, we'll typically defend it and say, you know, yeah, that wasn't a great goal, but there were other other factors to there were other factors that resulted in that play even happening in the first place that shouldn't have happened. For instance, the one that who so allowed against Sezikis in, in the Islanders game, that was a softy, but why was a guy allowed to have a breakaway on, on a power play? You know, yeah. when you're, when they're shorthanded or, or the Bruins McAvoy goal last weekend, you know, yeah, he let in a softy because he, but he, why was he allowed to come unencumbered into the slot like that? It shouldn't have gotten through his pads. He had it. Like you said, it kind of defies physics how, and almost like out of a cartoon, the way sometimes these pucks squeak through Billy Huso. Um, but this one was undefensible, indefensible. I mean, it was just a shot from the point. He got the, got the rebound and somehow in the process of covering it, it got to the side of him and he didn't even know how. Yeah. So that was a deflating moment. And I literally thought to myself, I'm like, that's it. Like you cannot allow yourself to get, down one nothing to the Boston Bruins, especially when a goal like that, and you started off the way that you started off. Like you said, boys were buzzing, deflating goal, and then it didn't end there, right? I mean, the Poitras, I'm going to try my best on that pronunciation. The Poitras goal that they scored in the first period, I mean, that was just a bad bounce off the stanchion. It surprised everyone, just ended up on the Bruins' stick. Yeah. Ben Chirot scrambling way overcommitted and chased out of position along the boards, leading just Justin Hall in front, who with Poitras coming down, Justin Hall was covering his man weak side of the net, and he followed that guy, then leaving Poitras all alone to just leave Villahuso's jockstrap. I mean, those two goals back-to-back, after that point, the Bruins really took control for about five to six minutes, and I, I just was sitting there. I was like, oh, man, it's over. They started so strong, but the Boston Bruins are not, and they did not, going to miss on their opportunities. But that's where like that's where the most exciting part of this game comes in because the and this is a, something I can give credit to for the Red Wings throughout this entire season is they don't relent. They don't give in. I mean, they've been we've been joking that they've been a third period team this season, but the main reason they're a third period team is because usually they roar back in the third and have a ton of chances and dominate the third, trying to tie it up. Even against the Panthers, where they lost two nothing the other day, they had a really good third period. The problem is, is you just you dated a flat first and second, but that wasn't the case in this game. Let's play three, boys. Yeah, let's play and, three, and, they, and in this game, they absolutely did. They did and they revamped the power play unit. Lucas Raymond on the top power play unit, I believe, replacing Shane Gossespierre. I'd be, I'd have to double check on that one for the on on the far wall. Uh, and he scored a power play goal, a beautiful cross ice look from David Perron to feed him. Just it was, actually, when I say beautiful cross ice look, it was a no look pass. Uh, he did a great job of holding that puck along the half wall and he drew two players to him. Everyone was watching Perron, not seeing Lucas Raymond break down the opposite wing and they just found him. And 
Lucas Raymond needed that goal in a bad way. It was great to kickstart the power play and great to kickstart Lucas Raymond. It was a first of three points for David Perron and much needed depth scoring in this game. So like right there to get back to two to one in the first period, get yourself back into that game, get the momentum back rolling, get your power play back rolling, get your top line guys rolling and get your depth score scoring rolling all in the same goal was just like the perfect, just igniter for this team going forward. Yeah, well, this was a, again, like you went up against arguably the best team in the NHL and your enti- the entire game was just responses, right? Mm-hmm. You went down early, response. You gave up a goal in the second, response. You gave up a goal in the third, three goals and a win. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like this was a a, a constant just responding, responding, responding to what a, a, a team that is, again, widely considered to be the best team in the league and had a record-setting season last year, just kept delivering punches as they're always going to do. And, and you continuously responded, 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 and it led to an absolutely fantastic victory. Um, yeah, we still got a lot to talk about in this one. And yeah, man, that that ability, you said it there, the ability the Red Wings had to respond every time the Bruins got a goal was something that, man... It's one of those games where even a day later when we're recording this at noon on Sunday, still get I, fired up. I, I guess can still get fired up and then struggle to formulate sentences in a way to like coherently convey my thoughts and opinions because everything was just so good in this game. There were defensive lapses again, and the Bruins weren't going to miss their opportunity to score. And we obviously will continue to talk about that as well. But overall, I thought they were the better team for 55 of these 60 minutes. Those yeah. five minutes being that, the five minutes where the Bruins scored two in the first period. They were great. Um, I guess we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation uh, about this five to four victory over the Boston Bruins, huge statement win. Uh, But first I got to talk to you guys about game time. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase guys. When you buy tickets using other apps that we shall not name, you end up with just an exorbitant amount of fees. You end up trying to buy a ticket that says it's going to cost you $20. Next thing you know, it costs you 50 because there's like, you know, service fees, convenience fees, not to mention taxes and all that. And it's just, it gets to be such a high price that it's ridiculous, but you don't have to worry about that with game time. You got, you can see the view from your seat before you buy. So you know exactly what to expect when you arrive all in prices show you your total upfront. So, you know, you're getting that a great deal without those hidden fees. You can buy tickets in seconds with just two taps They're obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event. And even an hour after it starts, it's the place to find last minute seats, find exclusive flash deals and sponsored deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, hockey, and so much more. You can take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time, download the game time app, create an account and use code lockdown NHL for $20 off your first purchase terms apply again, create an account and redeem code lockdown NHL for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> Segment two lockdown red wings podcast. Scotty and I are breaking down the five to four a regulation win over the Boston Bruins, their first regulation loss of the season. You love to see that Scotty, the second period they came out and they were just from then on the better team in my eyes. And yeah, the Boston Bruins still managed to score two more goals. And we'll talk about that, but the Detroit Red Wings were just 
pressuring. Pre- and this is what we were talking about, which led to their success early on in the season, right? Because they brought the pressure. It causes the other team to take bad penalties. The Boston Bruins, now, when I say they had eight penalties, or the Red Wings had eight power plays, there were a lot of really weird penalties at the end of the game where the refs were just like done with the crap and started kicking guys <laughs> out and giving penalties to coaches. So I'm not really sure how, well, technically they had eight power plays. I'm not really sure how accurate that is when you take into account, like how much of that happened with a minute 35 left in the in the game. But, you know, that aggressiveness led to a power play and that aggressiveness led to Jake Wollman, just absolute bombshell of a one-timer. He has one of the hardest shots in the NHL, guys. I'm not sure if you realize this. Every Almost every single one of his slap shots is 99-plus miles an hour. And that one he had on the power play, second power play of the game to tie it at two, was no exception. Jake Wallman, I mean, this is my question is on the show sheet here today. Is Jake Wallman him? Because I don't even <laughs> think it's a, it's a question that he has been the best defenseman on the team early on in the season. And that's not a sled against Moritz Sider. Moritz Sider, they're a great pair, and they've had a, a good start to the season. But Jake Wallman, has been doing it all and this game included. I mean, I saw one play where he carried the puck up the ice for a score, a shooting, a shot attempt. And then the puck came back down the other way. He busted ass to get all the way back and broke up the play as it entered the defensive zone. He literally plays offense and defense for the Detroit Red Wings and excels at both of them. And you put them on him on the blue line. He's got just like Morris Sider, an exceptional ability to keep the puck in an exceptional ability to get away from opponents and pressure and open up his teammates. And then that slap shot is just incredible. I think Moritz Sider has a, a, a great wrist shot and snapshot that can like thread the needle through defenses. But Jake Wallman's just going to burst through the defenses with his cannon of a slap shot. That one-timer was incredible. And I think that that guy is just, what's the term you use for guys, Scotty, that are, are kind of those motivators on the ice with the way they play? I'm, for, I'm slipping my mind. Feeling like maybe Jake Wallman's a dog. <laughs> well, <laughs> that'll work. We, we can we can roll with that. Jake Wallman is a dog. I'm just I, I every single game Jake Wallman impresses me more and more. Yes, I uh, I completely agree. I I think for me it's not really as much about comparing and contrasting like Wallman and Cider as it is just them together <laughs> realizing that the two of them together are phenomenal like that that's more of what it is for me man like they, they are they are an incredible like high-end defensive pair both of them bring great value on both sides of the puck that's the perfect you know one two punch or one one punch on a on a top line and on a top pair defensively like they they are incredible together mm-hmm. and we have noticed that from the second that that switch got made back in the middle, what was it? December, January of, uh, of last season. And it has maintained throughout. And, uh, that's super exciting. I just think that that wouldn't have happened if the Red Wings had initially not traded Anthony Mantha. That's how that trade tree began. Anthony Mantha. That's like my favorite thing to do. We could spend half an hour, probably like next off season is the next time we'll have time to do it. But we could spend half an hour just looking at like trade like trees and like the trickle down effect of like this happened, so this happened, so this happened. That's so fun to me. And yes, you're completely right. Yeah, because it was Mantha, Favrana, and Panic. You dealt Panic to the Islanders as part of the Letty package, and then you dealt yeah. Letty to the Blues as part of the Wolman Sunquist package. So thank you, Anthony Mantha. You did something for this organization besides break your hands. 
hey, multiple man. times. I loved him when he was here, but anyways, I digress. That's a dog. Um, well, he was not so much anymore. <laughs> Uh, they, they're not too fond of him over there in the Capitals. Maybe uh, too much of a dog it sometimes. Uh, yeah. Uh, sometimes he's dogging it instead, you know, like just sandbagging it out That's there. That's good. That's good. Um, yes, but I thought the defense as a whole played a pretty good game. I mean, the defense and the, just the team defensively. I mean, this is a Boston Bruins team that doesn't really generate, I mean, outside of Marshawn and Pasternak, which, hey, notice I said Pasternak's name the, right the first time this episode. Ooh. Uh, I didn't have that brain freeze like I did last time. I mean, outside of those two guys, like they are a defensive first team and they score their goals off your, their opponent's mistakes off the rush. Like they did in this game, honestly, like they did in this game. Well, that, uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, like that's, that's just the, the pro and con of playing such an aggressive forecheck. Like we've talked about that a lot, but early on in the season, when we were winning every single time we stepped on the ice, we that that was the, the the plan, right? It was really aggressive forecheck. If you're gonna allow a goal, it's gonna be a, a rush going the other way because you're so aggressive on the forecheck. That was that was how the first five six games of the season went, and then it we kind of like went away from it, and teams kind of were game planning against it. And obviously, like there's a lot of other stuff that's going on, right? Like the the lack of production from the outside the top line, like blah blah blah. We, we we've covered that a lot on this show, but. Like this was really the first game that it felt like those early wins again, where it was like, okay, this is this is a lot of constant pressure, and the opportunities that the Bruins have are going to be rushes, which is obviously like high risk, high reward type of play. But it, it worked early on, and the fact that they went back to it and it worked again, I, I think, is is telling. See, I would argue that this is even better than those early wins because outside of those few rushes, which again, the Bruins are too good to not take advantage of because yeah. uh, Pasternak scored in this one again. Although we'll talk about that because that was some, that was some BS. Um, I I thought that this, because the, the numbers don't lie, right? The Red Wings dominated this game at five on five. They outshot the Boston Bruins 40 to 30. They outshot attempted the Boston Bruins at even strength 59 to 38. In every single period, the Red Wings, with the save of the save the third period in which the Bruins had one more shot attempt than the Red Wings. Yeah, the Red Wings outshot attempted the Bruins by a wide margin. The second period, the Red Wings had twenty two shot attempts for versus nine against at five on five. That's how aggressive they were being, and that's how it's just fantastic to see this team bounce back against a really good team and say, "Hey, we're not done. This is not us." Of course, they did come that back down the ice after the Red Wings tied it and scored. And I Olimata chased way too far out of position, yeah. leaving a guy back door for an easy tap in goal to give the Bruins a three-two lead again. You can't make mistakes against the good Boston Bruins. I thought the defense played really dang good. Outside of a couple of those lapses, Olimata made a beautiful diving poke check to break up a two-on-one. Jeff Petrie had a couple really crucial blocked shots on power plays for the Bruins. Like those are the types of plays you need your defense to make. If you're going to compete is just time and place, making the right spot, making the right, uh, I guess, save in this instance. And it goes on to the forwards too. I mean, the, the forward line shook up and they were different. And I guess we can talk about that next in the, in the, yeah. in the third segment. That's the next thing to bring up. Cause depth scoring was, uh, was a thing. Well, you got a game. You and... got both sides of it. You got depth scoring and you got your top lines moving. So yeah. Was, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that in segment three of Lockdown Red Wings. Make sure you stay tuned for that. 
Score early this NFL season with FanDuel America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Segment three, Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Scotty, yes. So we talked about how the power play units were kind of mixed up, and that was much needed, by the way. We spoke about how they they had to change their scheme because other teams had figured it out. We witnessed it with the Panthers and the Bruins last week. Both those teams just knew exactly what to do to, to break down the Red Wings power play. Uh, they came with new people, and they came with a couple of new schematics in this game as well on how to move the puck, and it worked. But the forward lines at even strength were much different this game as well. Partly out of necessity, Christian Fisher injured, and you didn't call anyone up, so you ran 11-7. and seven, But also just giving guys an opportunity that deserve it. You know, David Perron, he had three points in this game. David Perron was fantastic. Um, but up until this game, he had had kind of a slow start to the season. So they demoted him down to the third line, and Michael Rasmussen also having a slow start to the season, who reportedly is working on a contract extension, if you listen to uh, 32 yeah, Thoughts. I feel like that's a tomorrow convo, yeah. honestly. And... Uh, both those guys had slow starts of the season, so they both kind of got booted to the third line, at least to start the game. Again, they're being 11 forwards. Guys kind of rotated all over in the, uh, I guess you call it bottom nine. It's not really a thing, but anyone outside the top line kind of rotated. But Joe Valeno got a look at the second line, and I liked what I saw. You know, he played wing rather than center, so I thought there were a couple of moments he looked a little awkward because he's used to playing center. But I thought he slid in and he had a respectable game. Obviously, the team won, so he wasn't that bad, right? <laughs> hey, man, look, like to me, this like really isn't rocket science. Like I, I, I you, you have a second line that is really good defensively and has produced nothing offensively all year. Okay. You also have one guy that clearly has been the most productive offensively in your, as Brian said, bottom nine. Okay. What what's a what's a great way to maybe <laughs> to maybe get some production out of the second line that has gotten no production? Maybe put the one guy that <laughs> the only guy outside of the top line that has been consistently productive on that line. And uh and again, like obviously Valeno himself didn't like set the world on fire necessarily, but like that line was a lot more productive than we've seen it in the past. And like Kopp obviously had the rebound goal and uh Comfer, I think, had an appler too. Like this is a uh, they they looked productive and you kept the two defensive forwards that you want out there to make it like your quote unquote shutdown line together. Um, I, I think there will be a little bit of a, a grace period, an adjustment period for Valeno where he's going to have to make adjustments if this is going to be a long term thing and and get used to it. not really as much offensively. I'm kind of fine with him playing like uh, like. I don't know, like makeshift second center on the ice at the same time offensively. I, I kind of actually like that. Just give him the freedom to to make stuff happen offensively. But um, defensively, I think, is where a lot of the adjustments for, for him being a winger are going to have to be, especially with two such great defensive forwards that that he would be playing with there. But, um, yeah, man, like I, I don't hate it at all. Like I said, I don't think it's like some big brain thing. I think it's just let's put the let's put the productive depth with the unproductive depth and see what happens. And it led to to some pretty good production. And then yeah, as far as that, I really liked that third line. I that's not really one that we um Michael Rasmussen we, back to like, center. Yeah, like well, yeah, that's not really one that we game planned. 
Um, but uh, but Sprong and Perron on the same line, I think is is brilliant. That's Perron gives you a little bit of the gritty like edge type of player. Uh, Sprong gives you the grip it and rip it type of player. And Rasmussen up in the middle can kind of be a jack of all trades, master of none there in the middle, and gives you the intangibles of size. I. I really liked that line together, and I hope we see it again. And obviously, like Perron was unbelievably productive, and that's really easy to say. But um, I, I just think the the schematics of that line together is really, really visually and uh, hopefully statistically um, appealing. But uh, just, but yeah, man, I, I really liked all these lines. Just to give you an idea of how mix and match the lines were today, outside of the uh, top line. If you go to natural stat trick and you sort, if you and you go to the line mates option, you can select Joe Valeno and sort it by time on the ice. Yeah. So it'll tell you who he spent the most time on the ice with. Um, outside of the outside of four defensemen, which makes sense because less defensemen, so they're going to be on the ice more often. Uh, the top forwards that he spent the most time at five on five on the ice with was Austin Zarnick at 446, yeah. Andrew Kopp at 443. Michael Rasmussen at 439, and then JT Comfort at 437. He spent like almost the same amount of time with players on all four lines. All yeah. well outside of the top line. Yeah, I mean three, that's yeah. just well, that's just, yeah, and that's a product of of the eleven and seven decision, right? Like, but that's... I also think it's a product of Joe Valeno playing really well, and they're giving him more opportunities yeah, yeah, to sure. go out there and again. If if he's the most productive non top line player you have so far this season. Let's play him with other people. <laughs> yeah. So that well, their lines can maybe be more productive. And he also got to look at top line center when Dylan Larkin took a nasty spill on the boards. I think yeah. in the third, second or third, uh, he had to go down the tunnel briefly. Uh, this was before his goal, too. So, you know, he's fine because he scored a goal. Uh, but he, he was centering the Debrinket Raymond line. And I thought it was a good shift. Yeah. I was like, he was just getting to the corners. He was getting behind the mm -hmm. net. He was digging the puck out. And he's like, I'm just going to feed the guys who are the goal scorers. And that, that line had a couple of good. That's all you got to do, brothers. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to campaign for Joe Valeno top line center. I'm not that I'm a little delusional, but I'm not that delusional wow. uh, to think that, but I just love the way he's been playing. He's really trying to earn a, an extension after a lackluster year last year. Um, yeah, also, agreed. This has been a, a very, very nice change of pace and a really like big statement he's made whenever we are 12 games into the season. I, 13. I also think we'd be remiss not to mention how good the second line, I guess, I mean, the winger on the second line kind of rotated this this game, but Comfer and Cop had a great game. Comfer in particular was driving the Bruins nuts all game long. That's like three games in a row too, man, where Comfer has been like, Someone that we've come on air after the game and been like, wow, like JT Comfort looked really good. That's three or four games straight. I mean, he is without a doubt, I think, earned that second center position. Uh, he, with how yeah, he's been he is. Your, your, that's why that that's why with all the blending that's happening in, in the in lines two through four, that has not changed for a reason. Yeah. Andrew Kopp, uh, JT Comfort, David Perron and Andrew Kopp respectively were the top three players on hockey stat cards in this game. If you, For those advanced analytically inclined people, uh, JT Comfort was your best player not providing any negative impact whatsoever with a game score a little over three. David Perron, technically second, had more positive game score, uh, but his defense was registered as a negative, which does not surprise me with David Perron. Uh, but, I mean, those three guys were huge. David Perron obviously had three points in this game. He had the game-winning goal on an angle. It was fantastic. Uh, he, he went to shoot, and he just whiffed on it. And it, it was one of those situations where everyone didn't expect him to whiff, so he just got the puck back and... Now, uh, Ulmark was out of position, and he just fired it underneath I his I think he did it on purpose. Right, right. 
Uh, so great to see David Prawn finally getting the score sheet, being part of that depth scoring. And then Andrew Kopp and JT Comfer had a fantastic two-on-one give-and-go where Kopp fed Comfer across ice, and he released the one-timer that went crossbar. The rebound came out, and Kopp buried it. So, I mean, this it was just one of those games where – Everything was going right. And there were some frustrations early on. Like when the team was down two to one early on in the second, Michael Rasmussen missed another wide open net. Uh, I think somebody hit a post to a couple of opportunities. Dylan Larkin whiffed on one in the slot. Yeah. So there, I, I really thought the team was snake bitten and it wasn't going to go their way, but things finally, the floodgates broke open and they were fantastic. But JT Comfer just offensively, defensively, the guy's doing it all for the Red Wings. And we Ooh. need, so we need him to get going to alleviate the pressure on the top line. And it worked in this game because that helped the top line produce. Dylan yeah. Martin, and, and like I said, this is three or four games in a row where we've kind of highlighted how good he's looked and it's, it's offensively defensively. And it's, it's in the face-off circle, which I cannot express enough is, is like a legitimate reason as to why the wings were interested in him. And, uh, not so much in this game, though. But no, I, 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 I four yeah, had, in but... the last three games, very much so. So yeah, this game, yeah, face-off circle in general was uh, a little bit of a wash. But. Yeah, the, the Bruins were the better face-off team in this one. Correct. But yeah, in, in general, JT Comfer is typically very good in the face-off circle, and he's been starting games. They've been they've been putting his line out to to start games for the opening face-off. Also, um, I forgot to mention this while we were talking about Jake Wallman, but uh, so the shot attempts for or shot attempts against while Jake Wallman was on the ice at five on five. 22 shot attempts for the Red Wings when Jake Wallman was on the ice, only eight against. I mean, that's just good. How good of a two-way player. And also shout out Justin Hall, Uh, obviously less time on the ice. So less opportunity, but 14 shot attempts four, five against while he was on the ice at five on five. Again, I just thought the defense as a whole played a really good game. I mean, a couple of lapses, which led to goals, uh, of course, not entirely. I mean, I can nitpick and pick apart the plays and be like, yeah, chased here, Ben Chirac should (laughs) be chased here. But overall guys made huge plays to stop a very good Bruins team. And I, I thought the team effort as a whole by these guys today was fantastic. I mean, when it, again, it's reflected, man. Like we we've been talking about how like concerned we were for the five on five play this entire season. Even when we were winning games, we were like the Debbie downers. And we were like, Oh, but like they're kind of getting outplayed still. And they just have an unsustainably high power play. And that's kind of carrying them to victory. This was, you outplayed the Bruins at five on five and on special teams for almost 60 minutes. And that's unbelievably impressive. And you were able to cover up for a lackluster goaltending performance. Right. Because you maintained pressure. I mean, how nice is that too? I mean, how many of these games where the Red Wings won were attributed to the fact that a goalie stood on their head and had to make a ton of saves because of defensive lapses. Right. This was a game where, your goalie was allowed to have a not so stellar game, especially against a really good Bruins team, but the rest of the guys around him picked him up. And I, dude, if they could play, obviously it's impossible to play like this every single game, but I wish they could, because that was a great game. Yeah, they wouldn't lose much. (laughs) Dylan Larkin and Lucas Raymond had five shots on that to bring it at five. That top line, by the way, we didn't even talk about it, but the top line looked really good as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's gotten to a point now where (laughs) until they give us a reason to like be worried, we're just going to kind of go into every game and assume that this top line is just going to be really effective. Like they went cold on the the stat sheet for the last few games, but they were still, even the team was, yeah, it's still constant pressure though. Like that's just hockey. That's going to happen. They get the puck in the zone They're Maybe if they're not even cycling it, they're keeping the puck moving 
and not giving it up and then creating a chance they would at the time just whiff on. But this time, they didn't do that. Obviously, Raymond's came on the power play, but Dylan Larkins was just a beautiful cross-ice feed from Lucas Raymond, who then Dylan Larkin outmuscled the guy and scored short side. And that goal was huge because, one, it tied the game up early in the third period, I believe. But, oh, this team, man. That's, that is a, such a reassuring win. I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's such a big statement time. win. Because big time, big time. The last five games was kind of the spiral of all the things we, all the problems we had seen during the five game win streak came to a head without the incredible shooting percentage and the incredible power play covering up. It was without adjustment. I think was the biggest thing for me was it's, it's like, okay, like we, we kind of saw this coming and then kind of forewarned ourselves and, and like listeners about like, okay, well like this water is going to find its level eventually. Um, but this was a game where massive adjustments were made and it worked, right? Yes. Like they they changed their game plan. They changed their lines. They changed their special teams. They went 11-7. Like there was a ton of, of adjustments that were made and it worked. And that's the most reassuring part of this whole thing. Yes, 100%. It just, it makes me feel good. Beautiful. And they got the Rangers tomorrow and... I believe we are doing a crossover with Locked On New York Rangers. We're planning on that, so stay tuned for that. We love John. He's great, so yeah, should John's be a good great. one. Uh, Scotty, any final thoughts? We ball, baby. We, we get it to everything. We cover everything we want to talk about. I think we did. I think we did. Cool. We'll be back with a new episode tomorrow. Same time, same place. It's your team every day. Every day. Every day.